At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. You're listening to the Gospel Community Church Sermons Podcast, where we go through books of the Bible, verse by verse and line by line, to hear the truth that God's Word has to encourage, discipline, and bless us in our daily lives. Amen. Uh, if we've not had the opportunity to meet, my name is Kurt McDonald. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and this morning it is my great privilege to bring to you God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May he add his blessing to it. Well, today, church family, uh, I have something to say uh, that you do not want to hear. Uh, what I have to say this morning will go against the very core of what you desperately want to believe. It will challenge the way that you are naturally inclined to think about the world. And how I know that you're not going to like it is I'm going to say it and I don't like it. That even in my own soul, I find myself battling with this message. And, and what we see is even in our own world and in our own culture, they're preaching almost the exact opposite of what it is that I have to say this morning. And truth be told, it's not actually what I have to say that is so incredibly offensive. It's what the text has to say to us. It's what the text has to speak to us this morning that offends our modern sensibilities. And so let me just go ahead and say it. Here it is. God does not need your permission. The reason that we don't like that is because everything in our heart and our being wants to believe the exact opposite, that God does need our permission, that, there, that, that before God acts or thinks or uh, puts his will into play in the, in the earth and in the planet and in the nations, that he should somehow seek out us to make sure that we're on board with his plan. But church family, God does not need your permission. Uh, so, uh, I know that you don't want to hear that, but God does not need your permission to radically alter the course of your life. God does not need your permission to close down the company that you work for. God does not need your permission to take someone to heaven that you love. God does not need your permission to bless someone else with gifts that he has not given you. Help me today. He does not need to check in with you to see if your plans are okay with him. His purpose is his will, his way. He does not need to check in with us because he has all authority. He is the one who has all authority everywhere. And so when I complain, God does not need my permission. When, when I'm bitter or jealous, God does not need my permission. When my plans fall apart, God does not need my permission. Now, we, we all love the authoritative, sovereign rule of God when things are going our way. Amen? We, we love to say yes and amen. God is sovereign. God is in control when things are going our way. But the moment, the plans that we had set up in our mind, the things that we wanted to fall into place, the moment that that starts to go sideways, that is when we get angry with God. We get angry with him because we feel like that that he does need our permission. And here's an even more uncomfortable truth. Not only does God not need to ask our permission, write this down, church family, God has the authority to place demands on your life because you belong to him. So he doesn't need your permission. And more than that, you belong to, you are breathing his air right now. Uh, you eat his food, you live on his planet, you belong to him, therefore God has the right to place demands 
on your life. And so what right does Jesus have to tell me what to do with my money and my sexuality? Every right. What authority does Jesus have over my life, my attitude, my plans, my habits, and my hobbies? All authority. He has all authority. And so listen to me. Today's message, it's it's probably going to do one of two things. It's going to make you really mad or it's going to set you free. It's going to make you mad in the sense that God has not conformed his will to your plan. And and I'm going to keep saying this today, that Jesus has all authority, and that's going to make you mad. Or you will rest in the life-giving, freeing authority of Jesus Christ. That, That is what we are going to see today in our text. If you're taking notes, Jesus has all authority. Right after his crucifixion, after his bodily resurrection, right before he ascends into heaven, he looks directly at the disciples, and here is what Jesus says. Jesus tells the disciples, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of the nation, baptizing them in the the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He says, all authority has been given to him. Therefore, we need to submit them to that authority. In our text today, we're going to see the authority of Christ challenged. (laughs) They, They come to him in the temple, and they're like, who do you think you are? On what authority are you doing? They they challenge his authority. And then what we're going to see in in response to that, he tells this parable. And, And the parable is about this group of people who don't own the vineyard, but they start to act as if they do own the vineyard, meaning they decide that they have the rightful authority over the vineyard. And we see what happens to them. And then thirdly and lastly, we're going to see this question of authority, specifically government authority, and specifically government authority over our money, and and what does that look like? Here's how we will work through our text today. It's going to go something like this. If, If you're into outlines, here you go. First, we're going to see authority in the temple. Jesus standing and preaching with authority in the temple, and this delegation comes to him, and they question his authority. We're going to see authority in the temple in verses 1 through 8. Second, we're going to see authority in the vineyard, this parable that he tells about an owner of a vineyard and these tenant farmers. We're going to see authority in the vineyard. Thirdly and lastly, we're going to see authority in the government. They're, they're trying to trip him up, and, and so they ask him this question, what, should we pay tax to Caesar or not? They're, they're trying to catch him in something, but he, he displays his authority. And through all of this text today, my hope is that it would inspire us to a relentless pursuit to submit all of our life under the authority of Christ. And so the message that I have today, the message that I have today is not live your own truth. The message that I have today is not uh, believe in yourself. The message that I have today is not follow your heart. The message that we're going to discover in the text today is a call to submit all of our life under the authority of Christ. That's what we're going to see in our text today. Well, let's get to it first. First, we're going to see authority in the temple. Chapter 20, verse 1 says this, One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple, and preaching the gospel, the the chief priest, so look at this delegation, this, this group of people that come together to approach Christ. 
the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came up to him and said, tell us by what authority you're doing these things. Or who is it that gave you this authority? Now, what specifically are they referring to? The text doesn't tell us what these things are. They're, they're asking, who, who said you could do this? Well, what things, what's the this? What are the things uh, that they are referring to? Well, the text doesn't tell us, but, but just let your eyes scroll backwards into the back end of chapter 19. What do we see there? Well, we see Jesus cleansing the temple. <laughs> Jesus has rode in on an animal to the praise and acclamation of the people. He, he has rode in like a king. Remember that from last week? As he rides in like a king, then he goes into the temple where there are money changers, where there are men who are selling animals for the sacrifice. And, and we talked about this last week, but these men had severely marked up the price. They're extorting the people of God to make a profit for themselves. And Jesus made a whip of cords and drove out the people who sold and the money changers. And now he stands and preaches in the temple with authority. And their question is, who said you could do that? <laughs> the thought that's on their mind is, well, he didn't get our permission. Not seeing and not understanding that Jesus doesn't need their permission. He, he's Jesus. And so he's standing there with authority, preaching. In the and, and listen, that's not to mention all the other authoritative things that Jesus has done. Jesus heals the sick with his word. Jesus raises the dead. Jesus calms storms. Jesus feeds 5,000. Like Jesus is doing all of this authoritative work. And their question is, who said you could do that? We didn't say you could do that. I mean, as a matter of fact, they're the, the scribes and the Pharisees and the chief priests. I mean, these, these guys are the religious elite. If anyone is going to get permission from anyone, Jesus needs permission from them in their mind. It's a question of, of his authority. And so now what is, what's Jesus going to do? Well, hey, guys, look, I, I understand where you guys are coming from. Next time, next time, I'll, I'll ask your permission before I cleanse the temple. Look at Jesus' response in verse 3. And he answered them, I also will ask you a question. You think you're the one asking the questions around here? Oh, no, 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 no. I'll be the one asking the questions. He answered them, I will also ask you a question. Now tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Now, uh, <laughs> Jesus informs them who's actually going to be asking the question. And, and really, Jesus is not avoiding them at all. He's not avoiding them whatsoever. As a matter of fact, um, he is answering their question with a question. And what Jesus has effectively done is they were trying to put Jesus in the hot seat, but inadvertently found themselves in the hot seat. Let, 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 me just, let me just put this to you. Anytime you try to put Jesus in the hot seat, you're going to end up there yourself. Anytime you start throwing accusations at the Lord, you are going to discover what is really going on in your own heart, which is sinfulness. You are declaring that God is unjust because of the situation that you find yourself in. You think that God is unjust, but you're going to discover the unjustness lies deep within your own heart. Y'all don't want to hear me preach that this morning. Okay. I wonder if you remember what happened to Job. <laughs> All of these terrible calamities start to come upon Job, and, 
and we understand, we get what, what's happening in Job's heart, but, but Job begins to question God beyond that. He's not just questioning God. Church family, there's a big difference between questioning and accusations, amen? He begins to accuse God of being unjust, and God then asks Job this question. You remember the question? He, he asked him, where were you when I laid the foundations of the planet? What God is telling Job in that moment with that question is you don't have enough information to make these accusations at me. And so can I just speak to us this morning? I want to speak to those who have come in this morning and you are angry with God because of the situation you find yourself in. You are angry with God because of the state of your marriage. You're angry with God because of the health of your child. You're angry with God, and you're not questioning. Uh, you are throwing accusations at him. Can I, can I just, I want you to hear me this morning. The, the unjust accusations that you're hurling at God can be found in your own heart. You don't understand. You don't have all the information that God has. These men come and they're questioning Jesus and they have no idea what they're doing. They have no idea what they're saying. They do not have the sovereign knowledge and power that Jesus has. And so make no mistake here, Jesus is not avoiding their question. If they would only answer Jesus's question correctly about John the Baptist, then they would have their answer. You see, John said about Jesus that he was the Lamb of God come to take away the sins of the earth. John had said about Jesus that Jesus must increase and that he must decrease. This is who John proclaimed Jesus to be. He proclaimed him to be the very Messiah. What was going on? And so he's turning this question back around on them. Tell me, what was going on with John's ministry? Was it from God or not? How will they respond? Look at verses five and six. He will say, gust it with one another, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, why did you not believe him? If they say that John's ministry was legitimate, then Jesus is going to go, okay, well, if John's ministry was legitimate, John said I was the Messiah. What say you guys? <laughs> well, I mean, of course, they can't admit that. And they discussed it amongst themselves, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, why did you not believe in him? But if we say from man, watch this, then the people will stone us to death because they are convinced that John was a prophet. What is interesting about their response is they're not, they're not thinking through the facts whether or not John was actually a prophet or not. They're basing their response off of how the crowd will respond, not off of facts and, and the reality of the situation. Now, we know that they cannot commend John's ministry because if we, if we had time, we would jump back to Luke chapter 7, verse 29 through 30, where we see that the Pharisees reject John's ministry. The, the religious leaders do not go down and they do not repent and they are not baptized in John's baptism. So, so we know they've shown with their actions what they think about John's ministry. Watch the, I mean, just the classic answer these guys give. Look at verse seven and eight. So they answered that they did not know where it came from. <laughs> they say, who gives you the authority to do all this stuff that you're doing in the temple, Jesus? And he said, I have a question for you. What do you think about John's ministry? And they go, I don't know. <laughs> they, they, they have no conviction. 
These are the religious men of the day. If anyone should know whether or not John's ministry was legitimate, it should be these men. These men should know whether or not John's ministry was legitimate, yet they refuse to give a real and honest answer. What, What is so shocking about this text is just the blatant arrogance of these men to go and to question Jesus. It's, it's absolutely shocking. As we read this text, the arrogance of the scribes and the priests are the, uh, so obvious. Why in the world do they believe <clears throat> that they have the right or the authority to question Jesus's authority? They should be sitting at Jesus's feet, taking notes. They should be praising Jesus. Instead, they're questioning him. And so church family, let, let's turn this text back on ourselves. Do we recognize this same level of arrogance in our own lives as we hurl accusations at the Lord, as we question his authority? If you're taking notes. The source of a lot of our anger towards God is arrogance. The source the source of a lot of our anger towards God as we're angry at him for the situations that he's allowed in our lives, as we're angry at him at the blessings that other people have that we have not received, as we're angry at him for not doing the thing that we wanted him to do in the way that we wanted him to do it, in the time that we wanted him to do it. All of that anger is coming from a source of arrogance. Why? Because we believe our plan is better. These men are challenging and pressing against the very authority of the one who spoke and creation came into existence. They're questioning his authority instead of submitting all of their life under it. Now, what Jesus will do next then is out of this questioning of him in the temple, this questioning of his authority, he's going to tell them a parable. Let's look at it together. Second, authority in the vineyard, verse 9. And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. Now, this would have been very common to them, tenant farming, meaning that there's an owner of the vineyard. He, he owns the land and he allows these tenant farmers to come in and essentially run the farm to to harvest the grapes and and to make wine or whatever uh, other products they were making and to make a profit off of that. That, That's what they were allowed to do. And in return for them working land and them in turn making a profit, they were to give some of the profit back to the owner of the land. This was very, very common in that day and they would have understood it. Now, what's interesting about this is that the landowner is not harvesting grain, but he's harvesting grapes in a vineyard. Now, why is that interesting? Well, we know that throughout the Old Testament, the people of Israel are known as God's vineyard. The picture here that Jesus then is painting is that this vineyard is the people of God. So if the vineyard then is the people of God, the tenant farmers are then who? The Pharisees, the religious leaders. And in just a moment, he's going to send, the owner of the land is going to send servants into the vineyard to receive some of the prophets. And those servants then are a picture of the prophets that God sent time and time again to the people of Israel. And then at the very end of this parable, we're going to see that the owner sends his son, obviously a picture of, of Jesus. Let's look at verse 10 together. 
When the time came, he sent servants to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Just as the nation of Israel had done time and time again with the prophets that God had sent, they, they beat them, they killed them. I mean, go back and read uh, what happened to Isaiah. Go back and read what happened to Jeremiah. Go back and read what happened to Zechariah. That time and time again, God is sending in love and grace, is sending messengers to call them to place their lives under his authority and love and grace. And they refuse to place their lives under the authority of God. They kill the prophets and send them away. That's exactly what, what Jesus is saying is happening here. Verse 11, and he sent another servant, but they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third. This is insane. And he sent yet a third. And they also wounded and cast him out. What, what we know is that after strike one, the owner should have sent the military to go arrest these people or kill them but he sends another servant and he sends another servant and he sends another servant. This, this picture of us living in rebellion, our rebellious hearts running away from God and God continually, repeatedly sending us messengers again and again and again to call us back under the authority of Christ. This is what God did for the nation of Israel. This is what God has done for you. He has sent you person after person calling you back into and under the authority of God. These tenants were acting more like owners. They believed that they had the right to decide what would happen in that vineyard. They believed that they had the authority. But church family, the reality is because he has all authority, all that we are are tenants. All that we are are managers. We, we are not owners of anything. We simply manage what it is that God has placed into our hands. And so let me ask you an, an uncomfortable question this morning. Are you listening to the servants God is sending into the vineyards he has asked you to manage? Are you listening to the people that God is sending you who is calling you back under the authority of God? Let me, let me just ask it a different way. When God sends you faithful pastors who call you to submit to the authority of God in every area of your life, do you listen to them? Or how about this, when God sends you a faithful spouse or a faithful friend or a faithful coworker that calls you to lay your life under the authority of God and his word, do you listen to them or do you kick them out of your vineyard? Oh, y'all don't want me to preach today. Okay, I'll, let me, I'll, I'll just, I'll keep asking uncomfortable questions. Here's another one. What vineyard have you declared and decided is your own? That's what these guys decide. They decided that, I mean, who cares about the owner? We're going to act as if this vineyard belongs to us and we'll decide who comes in and we'll decide who goes out. We'll decide how much we harvest and we'll decide how much to keep. They're treating this vineyard as if it belongs to them when it really doesn't. And so uh, the, the question I want to ask this morning is what vineyard in your life have you declared that's mine? Here's what I know about you and, and here is what I know about me that all of the areas of our life where we say this is mine, that's an area of disobedience to God. It, it, it's a way that we are rebelling against him. And so the question is, you're untenants. In the face, I mean, this, this is pure, unadulterated rebellion. These, what's God gonna do? What's, what's he gonna do? 
Look at verse 13. Verse 13 is unbelievable. Then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. The most precious thing to God the Father is his son. He loves his son. You you have to understand the the inner workings of the Trinity from eternity past, the Father and the Son and the Spirit have, have been in this dance of friendship and love and they had this deep bond and this relationship that, that we can't even wrap our minds around. The father loves the son. It is his most prized possession, his son, and it is his son which he chooses to send. What is, what is incredible about this is that to the people that hated him the most, he sent the one whom he loved the most. You see, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, Romans Five, eight. How will they respond? Look at verse 14. But when the tenants saw him be ours and they threw him the air, let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. They're making this assumption that the owner of the vineyard has likely given the vineyard to this son who's shown up. And so if we kill him and get rid of him, then the vineyard will be ours. There were actually laws that protected these tenants. If, if the owner just never showed back up or whatever, the, the tenants could actually legally uh, have a claim on this vineyard. And that's exactly what they're seeking to do here, not through actual legal means, but by going around the system. If they just kill the son, get him out of here, get rid of the heir, then they can claim a legal right on this vineyard. And that's what's happening here in this parable. Jesus here yet again has has predicted his death. He's he's showing these men through this parable that he knows that they are plotting to kill him. Now, Jesus has exposed their rebellion. He has exposed their hatred of his authority in their hearts. And he has also shown them that he knows that they are plotting against him. Look at this question that Jesus asked next. He says this, what then will the owner of the vineyard do? Is the owner of the vineyard, after he sent servant after servant after servant, and after he finally has sent his son and they have killed his son, what's the owner of the vineyard going to do? Sweep it under the rug? Just say, you know what? They've made their choice. I'm going to let them live their life. That's That's not what happens at all. Look at verse 16 together. He will come and destroy those tenants, and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, surely not. Do you see what Jesus is saying there? So if the vineyard and the people that are there, the tenants, are a representation of the people of God of Israel, he's saying that they're going to be destroyed or punished by God, so the chosen people of God are going to be punished by God, and then The vineyard is going to go to others, meaning not Israel, meaning Gentiles, meaning most of us in the room this morning. And they're saying, no, 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 we are the chosen people of God. Even though they're not living under his authority, they're doing whatever it is they want. They're treating the vineyard as their own. They're killing the son instead of listening to him. They're saying, no, no, the promises belong to us. And and the Lord is saying, 
no. No, I, I'm, I'm going to let this blessing go to another, another people. If you're taking notes, the consequences are severe when we exercise authority that does not belong to us. The call from the text this morning is for every single one of us to right now in our minds, even as I'm talking, begin to survey your life. Look over your life. Look over the vineyards which God has placed under your care and ask this question, where have I not submitted my life to Christ? Where have I not submitted this area of my life to Christ? What am I holding back? What am I claiming authority over in my life? That's what, that's what this text is, is calling us to today. The consequences are severe when we exercise authority that does not belong to us. They, they, they can't believe it. I mean, look at the end of 16. They're, they say, surely not. This can't be the plan. Verse 17. But he looked directly at them and said, what then is it that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Jesus here is quoting Psalm 118. His point is this, is that they might have rejected him, but God has chosen him. God has chosen him to be the cornerstone. Do you under, so the, these people would have understood block and stone buildings. They, they would have known that when you lay the cornerstone of a building, that now the next two walls are going to be formed and shaped off of that cornerstone. And so are the other walls. And so are the roof pitch. And everything then moves out of or moves from the laying of that cornerstone. Everything is built around that. What he's saying is those who choose to live under their own authority, they will be crushed by that cornerstone or on that cornerstone. But those who form their life around the cornerstone will not be crushed by it. That's, that's what Jesus is explaining to them. Jesus has all authority. And there will be some who will be crushed by his plan. And there will be others who will find life and who will find peace. Heavy text today, I know. Not, not, not a lot of amens, I understand. Third, third, and lastly, authority authority in the government, verses 19 through 26. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them. They weren't wrong, but they feared the people. So they watched him and sent spies to pretend to be sincere that they might catch him in something that he said as to deliver him up to the authorities, the jurisdiction of the governor of the governor. We know that this is Passover week. We know that Jesus has rode in. We know that he's been teaching in the temple. This is most likely a Monday or a Tuesday. And we know that at the end of this week, Jesus will be arrested. He will be crucified and he will be killed. The clock is ticking. These men are looking for a way to trip up Jesus, to, to catch Jesus. And so they're sending in these spies and they're, and they're going to ask him a question to try to trip him up. Now they've come up with what they think is a really good idea. <laughs> now he, here they're, they're thinking, okay, how can we get him? One guy says, I got it. Pick me. 
uh, let's go taxes. And they're like, oh, very smart. You know? so, so they have to pay taxes under the Roman government. So when they go to ask him the question about taxes, no matter which way he goes, they can get him. Meaning this, if he says, yes, pay your taxes, then the people are not going to like that. Jesus, if Jesus says Roman occupation, they want the Romans out of there. And so they're going to be upset with Jesus if Jesus says, yes, you should pay your taxes. But if Jesus says, no, don't pay taxes to the Roman government, then they can get the Roman government to come and arrest him. They had, in their minds, we got him. We have Jesus on the horns of a dilemma and he can't, he can't wiggle his way out of this one like he did the last one. Verse 21. So they asked him, teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly. They, they, <laughs> this guy ought to get an Oscar like for his acting, right? They, they select the best guy to put him in front of Jesus to try to trick him. And, and he has all of these nice things to say about the Lord. Teacher, we know that you speak the truth rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God, right? <laughs> now here comes this question. Verse 22, is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? Is it lawful? He, he doesn't mean lawful in accordance with Roman law. He, he's asking the question, is it lawful based on the Old Testament law? Now, why wouldn't it be? Well, you could make the argument that this is a pagan coin from a pagan king, watch this, who tells people that he's literally God and that he should be worshiped. That, that's the Roman emperor. He, he says that he's God and that he should be worshiped. And they're saying, should we... There's no way that us good, God-fearing people could pay money to do this type of pagan king who insists that we worship him. That would be sinful, right? Is it lawful to do this? Do you, do you understand their question? Verse 22, is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? Man, the Lord is so good. Watch him. But he perceived their craftiness. They're not fooling the Lord. Neither are you, incidentally. But he, but he perceived their craftiness and said to them, watch this, show me a denarius. <laughs> now, what's interesting is that by asking that question, the fact that they have this money already in their pockets, them. <laughs> he said, hey, show me a denarius. And, and they start reaching in their pocket to pull out the pagan coin with the pagan king's face on it, showing that they're already in this system using this pagan money. So they really don't have that much of a leg to stand on in the first place. Here's what Jesus says. Show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said, Caesar's. I know that we've heard this before, but let's not run past it. We know what Jesus is about to say. Every single person in this room has heard this before. We know, we know this line, but have you really considered how absolutely groundbreaking this idea and this thought is? Look at, look at what Jesus says. Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are 
gods. This, this idea is so incredibly revolutionary for that day. These people believed that the promised land belonged to them and that there is no way that they should be paying taxes to a foreign government, to a foreign king. There's no way. They wanted, they wanted Jesus to say, this is the land of David, the land of the promise. I'm going to be king. We're not paying taxes. Now, they wanted him to say that so they could trap him, but, but that's what many of them expected him to say, but that's not what he says at all. He says, whose face is on that coin? <laughs> Render to Caesar, because Caesar's image, here's what Jesus is saying. Because Caesar's image is on that coin, meaning he has some authority and some rule here, then pay him taxes because his image is on that coin. But watch this. God's image is on you. And so render to him what belongs to him and what belongs to him, your whole life. We're citizens of the United States by God's grace. This is a great country where we are. This is amazing that, that God has blessed us to, to be a part of this country. And, and we should, as good Christians, engage in uh, the, the surrounding world as we support and pray for our leaders, as we pay taxes. Yes and amen. And church family, we belong to a bigger and greater and ultimate kingdom. So, so I am secondarily an American. I first belong to the kingdom of God, amen? And so I give myself, I put myself under the authority of God first. And so as, as far as the, the laws are written, we obey them unless they go against the law of God in which we then follow God, amen? That, that's what Jesus is saying. That's what he is communicating to these people. He, he's showing them where the ultimate authority is. They, they begun this whole passage by questioning his authority. He tells them this parable about these people in this vineyard who took authority on themselves, and now he's explaining to them where the ultimate authority is. The ultimate authority lies with God. We should submit all of our lives under the lordship and under the authority of Christ. Verse 26, last verse. And they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said, but marveling at his answer, they became silent. They, they couldn't say anything. I mean, what do you, how do you come back from that? How do, how, they put him on the horns of a dilemma and Jesus walks straight down the middle. <laughs> they don't have anything to say. What Jesus has just shown them by, by his defense, what Jesus has shown them by his explanation is that he has full authority over all. The, the, the application to our text this morning could not be any more clear. The call is for us to examine every area of our life to discover where we have decided we own this vineyard. We need to examine our lives and place every single part of our lives under the authority of Christ. Here are a few questions that I want us to ask this morning in order to help us do heart work, because that's, listen, that's what we're going to have to do. I, I feel like for most of us in the room this morning, you're saying, yeah, I mean, I, I obey God. I mean, as a matter of fact, all of you beautiful people, I mean, you woke up this morning, you got dressed, you came to church, you brought your Bibles, you are very religious and holy. Your life, of course, is under the authority of Christ, right? Well, the reality is all of us, all of us have areas of our life that are not under the authority of Christ. A few questions to help us this morning. First, what situation are you angry at God about 
because he did not ask your permission. What situation are you angry at God about because he did not ask your permission? If that's there in your heart this morning, that's an area that's not under the submission of Christ. If you are hurling accusations at God for the situation that he has you in, if you're hurling accusations that he's being unjust towards you, that's an area of your life that is not under the authority of Christ. Second, second question for us this morning. What are my regular patterns of disobedience? What are my regular patterns of disobedience? Those those things that you know that you should be doing that you're not doing. Those regular patterns of disobedience in your life, pattern of disobedience, that you believe that that is your vineyard. That regular pattern of disobedience says, I'm actually in control of this area in my life and I'm not willing to turn it over to the Lord. I'm not willing to submit this part under the authority of Christ. That, that's why that regular pattern of disobedience is there. Third and last question, then I'm out of your hair. If God allowed blank to happen, I would walk away from the faith. If God allowed blank to happen, I would, I would walk away from the faith. All of these questions here are, are designed to show us where there is rebellion in our hearts. These questions are designed to show us where we are desperately trying to grasp onto the authority over these areas. And, and so when we have these sacred cows, these, these fill in the blanks here that God is not allowed to touch, that God's not allowed to do, that if God does, if he ever did this, if this ever happened to me, I would walk away from the faith. That's an area that you're not submitting under the Lordship of Christ. And so church family, this is a very heavy text for us this morning as we survey our own rebellious hearts. It's untrue. We see that God is, is not telling us to go today and live your own truth. Uh, the, the word from the text today is not believe in yourself and follow your heart. The word from the text today is that we submit all of our life under the authority of Christ. And listen, by virtue of submitting our lives under the authority of Christ, that act does not save us. Amen. It, it is the, the work of Jesus on the cross that saves us. But those who are saved will strive and take steps to submit every area of our lives underneath the authority of Christ. Church family, I have good news for us this morning. The vineyard owner, the vineyard owner has sent his son. The vineyard owner has sent his son and and he has come. And yes, we killed him. It was our sin that nailed him to the cross. But he resurrected from the grave and promises us that if we would place our faith in him, that we could be saved and that we could live this life not declaring our own authority over all of the vineyards in our lives, but resting in his sovereign control over our lives. Jesus, Jesus has all authority. May we live like he does. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for this text, which you have brought to us today. Lord, I pray that those uh, who are feeling under conviction this morning, knowing that there are many areas of their lives that are not under your authority. Lord, I pray that we together would not shy away from that conviction, but we would lean into it and there would be a sense of repentance, a calling out and a crying out to you for help and for mercy. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this text. God, we're glad to be in your house today and worshiping you and praising you. 
Lord, send your spirit to be with us for the rest of the service. Lord, that we might find deeper joy in you and you might receive all of the glory. I pray this in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day.